Uh, welcome to another episode of Kid Talks with Kinder World. Um, I'm Alex Bennett, and today it is my great pleasure to introduce to you Elizabeth Bergen Bartel, who is uh, an expat American from Arlington, Virginia, I believe. And expat means that you don't live there anymore because you live in China, don't you? Chengdu? Chengdu, Sichuan, China. That's the one. In, That's and in Chengdu, um, Elizabeth, with her husband, manages a kendo uh, dojo, uh, where obviously kendo is practiced as well as iaido. Um, Elizabeth is currently a student also at the University of London, not that you are in London. I, I'm assuming you're doing it correspondence at Burbeck College, and you will be graduating next year, um, hopefully, uh, <laughs> with a uh, BA in philosophy. Um, Elizabeth uh, is not only teaching kendo in China, uh, she also competes, and uh, she has won several uh, in fact, I think seven national championships for women's individual. Seven, yeah. And also six women's team championships. And you've also represented China um, at four World Kendo Championships so far. And I understand that you're also um, trying out to be in the Chinese team for the next World Championships, wherever they're going to be held. And I really like this photo. It wasn't the first time I'd met you. I, th I think from memory, the first time I met you was in 2010 at the Combat Games, which were held in Beijing. Um, and then I saw you many times at World Championships and also at the Kitamoto uh, International Seminar for Foreign uh, Kendo Practitioners. And I really like this photograph because there's me on the left. That's not the bit that I like. It's just rather ironic that I'm standing there with my Japan Zekken on. Uh, because um, I'm working for the All Japan Kendo Federation at this particular event, and you are standing there with your China Zekken on. So just uh, it's a wonderful illustration of how international Kendo has become. I'd like to uh, start off by asking you, what got you into Kendo? I can remember back to when my dad showed me Seven Samurai. I can recall I was Seven Samurai for the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, um, when I watched that movie, it was just like uh, a flame kind of lit up inside. Yeah, so I kept that flame alive inside, and I grew up and tried lots and lots of different martial arts. And um, unfortunately, at the time in Northern Virginia and Washington, D.C., there weren't many kendo dojo. But fortunately, I stumbled upon a Yellow Pages ad for U.S. Huarang Kwan, um, which wasn't an, an AOSKF affiliated dojo, but it was an amazing Korean, uh, studio where the headmaster was Master Chang, just an amazing teacher who really inspired me so much. Um, so yeah, I found them in 1997 and I signed up the next day right after watching one class. And I was practicing nonstop for like the first two years. I think I practiced almost every day. And I would get off from school and take the metro about an hour and a half to the studio and practice and go home late at night, uh, hopefully finishing my homework. Um, 
Uh, yeah, it was really wonderful. Uh, but unfortunately, there was quite a language barrier because I could not speak Korean and uh, their English was limited. So I just um, really enjoyed the workout and the movement and the molding the mind and body together and learning some of the basic principles. Um, yeah. Um, but after... After a while, I met my husband at the studio and we found out we were uh, at university in the same city in Harrisonburg, Virginia. I was at JMU and he went to EMU. And so we would practice together often in the EMU gym and got very close through our practice. Uh, however, he was about to move back uh, after graduating and start his own studio. And uh, when he told me, I was so excited and I decided to give up my biology degree and move with him and start this studio together, um, mainly because uh, Kendo had really shaped my life and um, had routed and shaped my life. And I had experienced so many personal benefits from practicing and I wanted to spread these benefits uh, to as many people as possible. I'm sure there's lots of people out there that have uh, been inspired to do some Japanese martial art because of uh, that, that particular, that not only that movie, but similar movies. So you, you studied uh, Kendo for a few years in, in the United States um, mm. before moving to China. When, when did you go to China? What, what took you there? I met my husband through Kendall. He's five years older than me, so he was about to graduate. He was an international student. And he's like, oh, I'm going back to China and I'm going to promote Kendo. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. I have to go with you and do it. And uh, since he was going back, I, I had seen, I had personally experienced all these wonderful benefits from practicing Kendall. And I wanted to promote that to other people to make it available. And at the time, there weren't any dojos in Sichuan at all mm -hmm. so we wanted to do that together i'm like oh, you're moving back i have to go with you and i have to do this so i gave up um studying my biology for my biology degree and uh moved to china which was totally crazy <laughs> yeah. what year was that this was i'm sorry this was um let's see 2003 2004 we moved to china and wow. then Officially, 2005, we opened the dojo here. So you've been there over 15 years. Mm. Um, I mean, as, a, as an expat myself living in Japan, um, I know that uh, moving to a country there uh, where the, the language is different, the customs are different, the food is different, um, values are you know very different. Um, I'm sure that you had many um, things that you had to overcome in your, in your journey when you got there. Culture shock must have <laughs> been quite, uh, um, quite a, a feature in your life when you first moved to China. What sort of things did you encounter that really sort of blew you away or surprised you? Gosh, it's hard to start, say. Huh? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember because since I've gotten here, uh -huh. it's so radically, it's like completely different. Um, when we got here in 2004, it was basically like a sleepy little town where the only thing people did every day was drink tea and play mahjong. And I mean, it was a big city then, but now like the expansion 
has been incredible. Just all of the construction and all of the population has just boomed. So um, back then it was, it was surprising to me who's coming from Northern Virginia, like the pace was very slow. <laughs> like the, the timing and, you know, you would tell someone to show up at a certain time, but you know, maybe they wouldn't show up for another hour. <laughs> so it's, it was very relaxed and you could, you could feel like the old culture of China at that time. And since then it's, it's changed a lot. It's been globalized. I mean, it's, you can see the effects of globalization since then. Um, so I guess the pace of life, the attitude, um, was very relaxed and also at that time there weren't many foreigners there were, i mean very very few foreigners so uh, people would come up to me and try to touch my hair and like oh my god it, like just like you saw a panda walking around in the street or something like oh my god it's a foreigner <laughs> you know the, yeah so they have to touch you, your hair <laughs> Yeah, a lot of my foreigner friends reported uh people would, would drive by in cars and just scream hello out the window because yes. it's the only english word they know <laughs> but people are very kind and um it, i mean it was all positive there was nothing negative it was a little uncomfortable for people to try to touch my hair but yeah anyways it was it was fun um so yeah it's changed quite a bit and now there are uh, so many foreigners here mm -hmm. of course that's a little bit different since the pandemic a lot of people have gone home but um yeah it's that was that was the thing that kind of coming back like I wasn't used to the, the, the distance between people and myself. <laughs> yeah, I was not used to the attention that suddenly um, poured on 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 you. I, I I understand that from my days at, at uh, Japanese high school. Um, at first, you sort of feel a little bit like a celebrity, but it sort of wears thin after a while. You just want to be left alone, <laughs> go about your business. What about the language? That must have been a real challenge for you. Oh, it still is. It still is. Um, yeah, it was, it was fun. Um, I, I, uh, became pregnant with my first son and we gave birth to him in uh, 2005. Right, Max? No, 2006? Oh my God. I'm sorry. <laughs> my timing's bad. 2005. Um, so at that time I was, I was quite unused to, using the language and it was hard communicating the cultural differences and raising children. Mm -hmm. But um, also having a child and being able to go out with the child gave me a really good opportunity to try to use Chinese mm -hmm. to communicate. So I, I didn't have time to officially study Chinese, which was really something I regret because all I do is like self-study at home and um, normally by myself <laughs> because my husband is so busy. But um, going, uh, just being able to go out and try to practice Chinese with people on the street, there are so many people that are interested in talking. So, and they have plenty of time. Like I said, very relaxed here. So I could, I could learn so much Chinese just from interacting with people, trying to buy vegetables or um, going to the park. People will just, you know, chat you up, even if you can't say anything back. <laughs> so it was great. Um, but yeah, Chinese is really, really difficult. And I've learned uh, a lot of things the hard way, <laughs> like saying things wrong the hard way. So it's great, but people will give you good feedback if you start speaking funny. So I uh, learned that. Living, living in Japan, I think, I think it's a similar kind of journey, actually. Um, uh, myself and Brian uh, included and Yulin, 
we've all had to learn the hard way as well. Chucked in. The <laughs> end, but, um, well, you said just before that you started up the Kendo Dojo um, in 2005 with your husband. I imagine that would have been fraught with difficulties as well. Um, I, my feeling is that China has a lot of um, rules and regulations related to uh, starting up uh, sports clubs and. Um, well, well, not this. Just that there's also a lot of uh, cultural baggage. Um, yeah. I'm I'm of Chinese ethnicity, and I remember uh, the first time my mother, who grew up in in mainland China, saw me practicing uh, Iaido. She was horrified. <laughs> She's like, "What you were that, that bad?" <laughs> well, it, it, I was I was very bad, but her comment was like, "You know, that's the thing that they use to execute civilians." during during the war right like how can you be like that that thing is is like horrible mm. right that was her that was her first gut reaction uh, i imagine there there must be all sorts of fraught cultural baggage that you've had to deal with yes that's completely true um yeah there's a lot of dark history that a lot of people don't know about and it's something that everyone should really know and educate themselves on if they can so it, it was difficult there i mean the first i want to say the first five years um if we didn't own the dojo space we would have closed because we got so few students it was a real struggle most days it was just me and my husband practicing and then like a couple people maybe join on. But at that time we were really hardcore. So like no one, <laughs> no one wanted to practice after the first practice. Um, but we learned a lot, like how uh, to promote Kendo and in China in a Chinese way and uh, how, how, why it's important because there are a lot of, other benefits, I mean, even with the history and everything, there are a lot of great things that people can learn from doing kendo and uh, the philosophy behind it is, it's so important. Um, and actually there's a lot, I mean, sword ideology originates in China. So that's what I like to emphasize to my students. I mean, they're basically, I mean, Hakama have evolved uh, over history, but it's, Tang Dynasty clothing. I mean, <laughs> so I like to emphasize that um, Kendo is not just, I mean, it's Japanese, of course, but it has an origin in China. So I like to really teach my students that as well and emphasize that they can, they can learn a lot from practicing Kendo and understand Japanese culture, which will help with future international relations. I mean, if they're in that sector, of course, but I just understanding people compassionately, um, even with such a hard history uh, is really important. And I try to teach that. Well, I'm sure that um, most people, um, when you first started the dojo, know what Kendo was. Um, so how did you go about promoting it um, to the, uh, uh, the public? Yeah, um, we didn't do much. That was the problem. Uh -huh. <laughs> when we when we first started, we really didn't do much. Um, so that was one of the issues, just raising awareness about Kendo is really hard. But like over the years, more and more people would watch uh, foreign movies, foreign anime, um, even TV shows, like Taiwanese TV shows have um, Kendo. And then there have even been like domestic TV shows that have like bits and pieces of Kendo inside. Um, so people slowly became more and more aware. 
of Kendall. And that's when they started coming. And that's when we started having more and more students. Uh, but yeah, we didn't really do much marketing, advertising or anything. We just, it was just word of mouth. So I think that's one of the reasons we really struggled <laughs> to, to get uh, our dojo uh, population up. But yeah, it's been better over the years. And how many students now, do you have now? Oh, <laughs> I want to. We have a lot of people that have signed up, but regular practicing probably only like a hundred. A hundred. Maybe more. Maybe maybe more. Uh, some. I mean, we have we we use like a card system. Those students have their own card, and they'll like their little where you write in the date and you know we have to stamp it so they know like so we have tons of cards mm. but sometimes the students aren't here or you know sometimes they haven't practiced for over a year or they'll sign up and they don't actually show up to practice so it's it's a little frustrating um but i yeah, I just let people come at their own pace, so yeah. it's okay. Well, I mean, even in Japan, a dojo with 100 people would be considered quite a significant entity. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. What sort of people want to do Kendo? Mm. Well, you know, people come. We have tons of ranked practitioners, but they don't practice. Uh, typically, nowadays, uh, all our students are adults, either young adults or adults. So... Um, yeah, we have some, like, it's hard because, of course, it's hard to recruit teens and university students because the academic, uh, academics are so emphasized here, you know, that's, that's all the parents care about, you know, so we, we do get some teens and some university students, but mostly it's like after people have graduated and they have a stable job, excuse me, they have a stable job and that's when they have time to actually do martial arts. So typically young adults um, and maybe some, a couple of older adults, but yeah, mostly young adults. Um, now are these people who have some sort of, uh, uh, for work relationship with Japan or call it, like, is it, is an attraction to Japanese, like a lot for a lot of Westerners practicing, uh, it's often an attraction to Japanese culture that often brings them into, into Kendo. Is that, is that what you also find in, in Chengdu? Uh, so far. Yeah. Most people are, have seen anime or movies and they're really excited to find out more about Japanese culture and Japanese martial arts. But they're not necessarily working in like the foreign sector. There are we've had a couple of students that yeah they, they speak Japanese and they work in a Japanese company or they have had had past experiences in Japanese companies. So, but typically it's just people that are really curious about Japanese culture and excited to learn and do something physical while learning about Japanese culture. Yeah. Are they, are they sort of um, generally, I mean, obviously it's going to be very different, but um, uh, considering the, the really incredible showing that China had at the last World Championships in Tokyo, um, there's obviously a, a, a very vibrant competitive scene in China. Mm. Um, so do a lot of your students really get into the Xi'ai side of it, or are they more into it for the cultural, perhaps philosophical aspects or things that they can perhaps find a useful in their daily life. What, what's the sort of balance there? Uh, we have a mixture in our dojo. So uh, there, we're, 
our dojo really emphasizes a lot of kihon and um that's what but uh that that kind of allows we do have other hardcore training which is more for the people that are that kind of thing so we kind of keep a balance between the two and give a path for both types of practitioners so for example um our, the way we has changed over the years we have a beginner section where all the the newbies are there and uh, they have to learn we have a, a very clear system of how you advance through footwork uh suri, uh wearing bogu the basics with bogu and doing a specific very specific exercises to improve coordination uh the tenuchi and all, all of these kind of things and then we have an advanced class in the later evening and uh late early afternoon on weekends sorry and late evening on the week weekdays that is just like uh, mainly key home focused we have the schedule is is on the weekdays we have like just mainly key home maybe a little bit of jikeko and uh kakari keiko at the end of the class but um yeah so ugh, am i answering the question i don't know yeah, absolutely yeah yeah so really you're 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 sort of catering for for all of it i, I imagine you have um quite a wide range of um or age groups and perhaps what's the what's the gender balance like oh it's pretty balanced quite a few female students and students as well so it's very balanced overall Mm -hmm. a, lot of kids well. a lot of kids a lot of kids as well kids uh we we have a separate kid class kids and adults together so uh if you want to join the typical uh weekday class you have to be at least 13 mm -hmm. okay so um but we do weekend class because most of the time uh like i said the academic the so a lot of parents, they don't have time on the weekdays to bring their kids to the dojo. So we have a special weekend class just for the children. Yeah. It sounds like you're in the dojo at the moment, actually. Is that, I am. Right? Loud. No, no, it's uh, um, energetic. Can, can you give us a little show round? Can you, can uh, you move this? Uh, are you on, is that a computer or your phone? It's my phone, so I can, I can move. I am mobile. Okay, so here's the entrance. Tell me if I'm going too fast. See people. Well, I, I can smell those hakama and dogi from here. <laughs> it's a good smell. It's a good smell. I like it too. <laughs> We're sick, aren't we? We, we kendoka. <laughs> Very. <laughs> All right, here's the main entrance area um here are the lockers and the, yeah okay. we're still kind of constructing some t-shirts hey, hey karate karate dojo hello Hey, Kendall, Alex, come over. Come over, come over. 
This is my son, Alex. Hello. Hey, nice name. <laughs> How are you, Alex? I'm fine. Hey, I'm great. I'm her, mama, mama. Go like, go like, go like. Come over. Say hello. Alex Sensei. Alex Sensei here. Hi, Alex. Am I a sensei? I'm not a sensei. <laughs> not. Anyways, so it's a little view. We have... Um, I, I can't go. Yeah. Oh, it's those uh, guys are your sons, are they? Yeah, these are they're my sons. My oh. Alex, so you can see. Here we have. Sorry, I'm giving them a tour. Oh. It's a very big dojo, isn't it? It's very spacious. So I'm curious about the, uh, the, the the language that you uh, use in the dojo. Uh, I'm sure it's mostly Chinese, but for the uh, for the kendo terminology, do you mm. guys tend to use the, the Chinese pronunciation of the characters, or do you use the Japanese? Mm, I I use both. I use both so that they get used to both. Because uh, if we have visiting sensei, they must get some kind of concept what the Japanese sensei is trying to teach or the foreign sensei for that matter. So yeah, we use a combination, but normally when I'm teaching, I actually don't speak Utonghua. It's very embarrassing <laughs> I, because like I said, I learned through speaking with people on the street, I speak Sichuanhua. Uh, so people make fun of me about it all the time. <laughs> But um, yeah, so we use both, both terminology and sometimes I'll even use English to teach because people want to practice their English when they come to the dojo like, oh, I can I can study English while I'm studying kendo. And then they're like, oh, yes. So, yeah, I definitely help. And uh, I love to encourage my students to use all language so they get, a, you know, a grip on how to communicate with people from around the world. You find it's different teaching people who understand kanji already. Mm. Oh, that's hard. Mm. I don't have much experience teaching people in the states, but I think it's an advantage for them because they can understand um, their origin of the words of what uh, we are teaching. So they can understand if they can understand, like uh, for example the ken what the ken means and dao they can understand like why these how these words were first how these characters were formed then it's like it's very interesting for them they can understand so much more depth than someone like me who has so little ability to understand kanji so it's it's it, I'm, I'm sure it's a major benefit for them but i would say for yeah foreign speakers no it's difficult <laughs> So I was going to ask you, um, who's been the biggest influence on your on your kendo? Because um, I, I know that you come to Japan, well, pre-COVID, you were able to come to Japan every now and again. But what about in China? Is, is, there, is there quite a healthy group of uh, really uh, highly trained senseis over there that you can, you can learn off and feed off? Or how does it work? Mm. I, uh, most influential person, uh, it's definitely my husband. Yeah. Um, I don't want, I don't want to brag here. So <laughs> let me be quiet. Um, he is, go ahead, brag. He has, he has a really good understanding of 
Okay, my husband is a sixth dan in karate, uh, fifth dan in kendo, uh, fourth dan in jodo, and fourth dan in yaido. And he also practices many other martial arts. So he's like, to me, to me, my opinion, he is a martial arts genius. He can understand um, how to do movement just by watching people practice. So like, for example, um, uh, he's helped me so much with my footwork and tenuchi because, you know, I tend to be really uh, using my power too much, but actually he can understand the very detailed um, concepts of tenuchi, how to use tenuchi differently in different situations and, of course, uh, doing different waza. So I would definitely say my husband has been um, extremely influential um, I don't, I, even though our ranks are pretty much the same other than karate, uh, I, I know that he is a lot better than me and I just listen to him. So I treat him as a sensei. Other than my husband, there are a couple of Japanese sensei that have had tremendous impacts on my candle. Uh, number one would be Nakamura sensei who often would take uh, business trips to Chengdu. He was working for Canon at the time. And he really taught me, he would inspire me and our students and taught me how to develop compassion through Kendo. Also, Tokura Sensei, who was based in Beijing, uh, working for Sony, uh, just, uh, he really inspired me through his amazing, beautiful, powerful Kendo and also Miyake Sensei and Hasebe Sensei, they all inspired me very much. Um, but nationwide, uh, there are, are many Sensei, especially Morita Sensei, Omoto Sensei, Takada Sensei. They have all been instrumental in guiding Kendo in China and making sure that we stay on the right path for authentic kendo to grow here. Um, also, of course, like I said, our national team coach, Hasebe Sensei, and also Furue Sensei, who have both uh, really dedicated, committed so much time and effort and blood, sweat, and tears to developing our kendo. And we'll be forever grateful for their strong spirit and dedication. But locally, we haven't had many sensei, actually. So most of our exposure to Japanese sensei or Korean teachers uh, has been through travel or during competitions or budokeiko or whatnot. So, yeah, um, Sichuan is pretty uh, central. So we don't have many foreign companies that uh, sensei would be moving to Chengdu for, I'm, if that makes sense, yeah. I hope I'm coherent oh, yeah, here. Most of the, well, well, Dalian is the, is the sort of Japanese center, if you will, in, uh, in, in China. Dalian, but we also have many sensei in Beijing and uh, Shanghai, some in Shenzhen now, going to Shenzhen and Guangzhou, yeah. Um, but yeah, we don't get, unfortunately, we invite these sensei to Chengdu or meet them in competitions or good okay otherwise yeah um don't want to take up too much of your time elizabeth but quite curious um it's almost been well exactly a year 
since the world has been plunged into this um, terrible uh, pandemic that mm. we still are trying to uh, doggy paddle our way out of. Um, you being an American uh, living in China, uh, where obviously the, the, the first um, cases or at least publicized cases where they came out of, of China, how did you manage the situation because you would have uh, family back in the United States and your freedom would have been to move would have been severely limited like it is for all of us um so how did you manage that situation navigate that situation how did it affect kendo in China uh you're talking about COVID right yeah (laughs) um I I'm just like any other person. There's no difference between me and a Chinese person. Um, the government's done a tremendously awesome job in controlling uh, the outbreak. Mm. Uh, I I was really. I'll tell you a little story. I hope hopefully it doesn't take too much time. But um, our our flight back was insane. Um, we actually almost got stuck in the States for this whole year, unfortunately. Um, yeah, so my, my kids and I, um, we were in the States uh, for Christmas. And we're supposed to come back in January, but we ended up staying because of the outbreak. We ended up staying in the States until March. And um, we got the ticket to come back quite early after... Um, my husband said, I'll come back at this time. But anyways, uh, so we were flying out of the States. And while we were flying, they were like, oh, we're closing the border. No foreigners are allowed to enter until we say it's okay. So we landed right the day before they closed the border. We just made it. And we um, went through quarantine and uh Shenyang, Shenyang, yes. And uh, after that, we were also quarantined in Chengdu. Um, but it's, I mean, the government has the backtracing and the tracking using, you know, mobile phones. And um, people are very compliant. So it's it saves a lot of trouble. Um, and the, the thing about it, the way I see it for, as a foreigner is um, just the understanding of of people is incredible. They can see that how their own actions would affect the rest of the country, how their actions affect other people. And just, um, you can see like the, maybe it's not always the case, but complying with this is just like an act of compassion because you're taking care of your, your family and your friends' families by trying to keep everyone safe. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I think it's amazing what China has done and that also the people it shows, I mean, the, yeah. Anyways, obviously I'm a little biased, but. Uh. Well, I, I noticed that China had their national championships the other day. So Kendo was pretty much um, back to normal for everybody as I imagine uh, other sports are. Is that, is that correct? Uh, overall, and the, unless there's like local outbreaks, um, they'll shut down the city and people will be tested. Um, we had a small issue. I think there was some, somehow, um, an elderly couple got infected, I think through some kind of packaging. I'm not, I'm not sure, but, um, their grand, 
stepdaughter came to visit them and then she went clubbing. So she uh, spread COVID. Yeah. But then immediately after they had discovered this, um, they did all the backtracing to see where she had been and who had been in close and, you know, in the vicinity. Um, and then they did testing on everyone. So they were, you know, this is the concept of Zanshin. You, you, you find out who has it, then make sure, you know, they, they don't infect other people. This is just, this is just the only way you can really do it. Um, but yeah, uh, we did have our and there were restrictions and there's a lot of uh, stuff that they had to do to make sure that it could run. Um, but it was successful and there were quite a few people, even though not as many as normal, but they were quite, it was still a, quite a big championship. Um, yeah, it was great. So um, you said it's a nice segue and I won't keep you too much longer, but you said that well, you applied a, a fundamental kendo concept of zanshin to how uh, a crisis or how a difficult situation can be managed. Um, do you find kendo helps you in other aspects of your life, directly or indirectly? Oh yeah, for sure, what, all the time. What kind of things really sort of um, uh, stick out for you as, as something clearly that uh, has influenced your character through your training over these many years? Mm. Um, uh, <laughs> It's it's hard to pick. There are so many awesome concepts. Um, I I would say for me the greatest concept has been Matsura Saizen's like Kokoro no Riken. It's just like how to describe in a simple way. Mm. It's it's not um, practicing sword arts to defeat other people but to it's not only this but it's also to defeat and clear your inner heart to to refine your character um to the extent of being like totally clear i don't know i think the concept's quite more nuanced and deep the, deeper than that but um that's my understanding and of that in a, in a simplified way, of course, mm. um, that has really affected my life. I, I try to just, I don't think of anyone else as an enemy or a competitor or, or whatever you want to say, an opponent. But I think of myself as my greatest opponent. I try to overcome myself every practice, every day, overcome whatever weakness I'm working on, um, for example, uh, this afternoon we had a three-hour practice and um, I was trying to fix my tenuchi so that it's even better and simplify my movements. So uh, every day in, in a, the practical sense, it's applicable to how we can fix our waza, our, our, all our basics or whatever. Uh, but also you can apply it to your mind on how can you clarify your thinking, how can... How can you be uh, more compassionate? How can you be more yourself? Greatest essence is rather than just um, letting letting it go and doing whatever, if that makes sense, hopefully. <laughs> Absolutely. So this is something that uh, you sort of feel over the years. So I wonder, I mean, obviously you've had a lot of success um, in the competitive arena. 
Um, where to from now? Where do you see yourself going in the next five to 10 years? Oh, this is, that's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, obviously, I want to continue that path of refinement. Um, I don't think, I, I like to think of my practice since I started Kendall as like, um, let's see, iron salt turning into steel and slowly turning into a sword. So I, I would like to continue to refine myself to the point where I can encourage and inspire other people. And um, that, that's my main inspiration and intent is to inspire people to do authentic kendo and um, keep the, the spirit of kendo and the culture and the philosophy alive in their everyday practice. So that's that's really my intent. I hope uh, I can succeed in doing that and we'll see um, what kind of opportunities I have in the future. We'll see. Well, it sounds like you already are succeeding in doing that. I mean, if you've got a, a mere 100 people in your dojo, that's pretty, pretty so, remarkable. <laughs> you know, it's it's... There, there's a lot of people I think who are very, who would be very envious of, of, of how much you guys have managed to accomplish. Now, there's a lot of people out there who are struggling to try to build up Kendo. Um, I think in, in similar situations, like when, when you and your husband first started out, right? Not mm. anybody else around, just starting out. Uh, no high-ranking sensei around. Um, what advice do you have for for people like that <laughs> trying to trying to build up their own their own club? Oh, uh, it's very very hard. Um... Uh, what helped us, I can say what helped helped our dojo to be more successful. I don't think we're the most successful dojo in China, but what has helped us is really have a clear system of teaching. So like I said earlier, we have, um, we have a student booklet with everything you will learn, basically, not with complete details or explanations, but um, just basically an outline of how uh, you can advance. So people have an idea of where where they are where they are first of all and uh, where they can go um but it's it's important first of all to understand uh the person the people the students values what's meaningful to those students and how can you communicate these the to them in a way that they can understand the basics and how can they advance through these basics so but i i think most what has helped us succeed was really the system we used because um, they know that they have to study footwork until it's perfect. They can't move on until they get all of the footwork. Then they get to hold the shinai and try the footwork. Um, and just like a continuation of this progression gives them a sense of purpose and meaning and it gives them something to work on to inspire, to continually inspire them. Um, to advance and practice and I think that's helped a lot of our students just like oh well I've learned this today I can learn something new next time I come to the dojo so that works and then you know you have the students that get from their first class where they really struggled to yondan you know they we've had these types of students that they're they just don't give up because they're inspired on overcoming themselves so if that makes sense. Yeah. You, you said you hadn't taught in the States, but I mean, being uh, an American by birth, um, do you think the, the approach that you took with the dojo in, in, in Chengdu would, would, 
the same sort of approach would work, for example, in the States? Or would you, I mean, if you were to suddenly have to teach kendo to, to Americans, would you teach in the same way? Is there something in the Chinese that make them quite sort of, uh, you know, that, that, um, that kind of uh, uh, teaching method works? What, what do you think the idiosyncrasies are? Mm. Uh, like I said, it really matters, uh, what, first of all, to understand the student themselves. Because uh, when I teach, I adapt the way I teach to each individual student. So, for example, um, if someone is really tough, they, are, they can take feedback in a direct way. You can be very straightforward. You're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. You do <laughs> everything wrong. <laughs> no, um, you're doing this right. Yeah. You, but um, other people, you, can, you can't like that. You have to, you have to be um, gentle and you have to be compassionate and adjust the way you teach to them. Um, but overall, our system is really, I mean, I'm bragging again. Shoot. I'm sorry. Um, our system is really effective for teaching adults because, I mean, in Japan, they have children, right? And normally people do kendo from a young age, but in other countries, unfortunately, most people start when they're adults. So they already are fully physical, fully physically grown, excuse me. Um, and they have a life and everything. So it's hard to promote it as like a lifestyle for them in the same way. Uh, so you, the way the system works, I think it's applicable, but um, at the same time, this it's important who the teacher is. The teacher must be able to adjust um, in a way to accommodate each individual, if that makes sense. Yep, excellent. Okay, well, thank you very much, Elizabeth. Um, Christmas, are you doing Christmas over there? Uh, well, dojo all day tomorrow almost so yeah actually our we'll have i normally have an afternoon section with uh, one of my students um and normally one of my sons or my husband will we'll do like a three-hour practice and then the evenings we have about another three hours uh depending sometimes longer um we'll have like the beginner section and the advanced section and tomorrow is just another day it's not like yeah. christmas but i I'll, i'm sure we'll be enjoying it because it's fun it's fun to get those epons for christmas eh? yeah. christmas. <laughs> uh, New Year, we have a very special um practice uh, the day normally well we our, our tradition is to do 2000 suburi and of course the number of the years of this year it'll be 2021 um and we used to do it like as it was almost midnight and to 1 a.m um typically 40 minutes yeah. take that long but um yeah but this year we're just gonna do it on the 31st so we'll see well don't work too hard you sound like you spend a lot of time in the dojo like six or seven hours a day? Uh, depends. Not every day. Not every day. Thank goodness for that. You're, put, <laughs> you're putting us all to shame. <laughs> I'm no. green, with, green with envy right now. <laughs> That's what I am. <laughs> I'm very lazy. Uh, don't worry. I'm oh. lazy. Well, where does that put us? <laughs> no, no, you're definitely... I, uh, yeah. 
Oh no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I say the wrong thing. No, no, no. Um, thanks for making the time, Elizabeth. I realized that the day wasn't um, exactly too convenient for you, and we had to take you away from your from your um, duties. And uh, really appreciate it. It was really great to talk to you, and um, look forward to keeping in touch. Um, and uh, hopefully, uh, might see you back in Japan again before too long, uh, if everything oh. goes goes well, huh? Thank you so much for having me on, and I'm really grateful. It's it's a real blessing to be able to talk to you guys, and uh, you know, talk, to, encourage people as much as possible. I hope. I hope. If you knew us, <laughs> if you knew us better, you probably wouldn't say that, but <laughs> never mind. <laughs> oh. We're a bunch of misfits. <laughs> we pride ourselves on it. Um, well, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Um, even though it's not, uh, you know, a big thing in China, like it's not a big thing in Japan either, really. Not like it is back home. Um, and uh, regards to everybody in the dojo and your husband and your and your kids and all the people that I met exactly a year ago, isn't it? When I was yeah, yeah. Bloody well, thank hell. you. It was awesome. Everyone misses you very much. I don't know where the year's gone. It's frightening. I'm, thank you. <laughs> Again. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Thanks very much, Elizabeth. Okay. Take care, guys. Bye.